that's what's so fun about a fairy tale. When you read it, you you ask all, you're automatically asking questions. It's like, well, why would this happen? Well, why? You know, we want to know the why. It's kind of like with Bible stories. It's like, what what was the story behind that? I want to know. You know, so it, it encourages you to start thinking of different ideas of well, what if? Welcome to the Habit Podcast: Conversations with Writers About Writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Lauren Wernamende is the author of Exile, book one of the Daughter of Arden trilogy. She was also one of the first members of the Habit membership. Lauren started writing The Daughter of Arden in 1995, 27 years ago. But life intervened and the story languished for two decades and more. But that delay, as it turned out, made it possible for Lauren to write a better book. I think you'll find Lauren's story encouraging. Lauren Warnamende, I'm so glad to have you on the Habit Podcast today. Thank you. It's pretty awesome to be here, actually. <laughs> and I'm so excited and um, you know, and proud of you for getting your book Exile into the world. It's been a long time. Just a few years. <laughs> uh, you. It took you 25 years to write. Um, the well, I say, the exile is book one of the Daughter of Arden trilogy, and so did you finish all three of those books in, or did you finish the first book in the first twenty five right. years? Yeah, the first book probably got done. The first draft of the first book got done within the first couple of years. You know, um, the second book, draft wise, probably finished up let's see, by 2013. And then the third one just kind of sat there. Like I knew things that needed to happen in it and it just yeah. sat because there was lots of life. And um, it actually only took nine months to write. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, you're, you're getting much faster. All right. uh, you know. let's, talk, let's talk about this, a book that took 25 years to write. Tell me about that. Okay, let's see. So where to start? Um, so... I'll start with what what kind of got me going on it to begin with, just the, the book itself. I mean, I've always loved reading. I grew up drenched in books, um, in stories, fairy tales, Bible, you know, you name it. We had them. We had all these stories. Um, and so about fourth grade, I, I got to do a young authors contest in our class. Yeah. And I won, and it was like (laughs) fables, and it was like the most exhilarating experience possible. And up to that point, I was going to be an illustrator. That was what, Mm -hmm. but I changed that point. I'm like, oh, I could be a writer, and so that was kind of you know the the idea. Um, So, you know, fast forward life, I ended up going into education, um, doing a little bit of that. But when Craig and I got married, Craig's my husband, um, in '95, I had just read a fairy tale retelling of kind of an obscure Grimm's fairy tale called Deerskin by Robin McKinley. Um, and it, it sort of rocked me. I had read one of her other books, Beauty, which is a beautiful retelling of Beauty and the Beast. And uh-huh. that was inspiring. It's like, well, this is such a great, you know, they're, they're my kind of stories. I, mm-hmm. I love that kind of story. And when I read McKinley's Deerskin though, it's a, it's a much more um, adult level book. Like it's not, I wouldn't hand it to my teens necessarily, unless mm-hmm. we really could talk about some of the things, because there's some harder, harder issues in it. Mm-hmm. But she handles them so well, and it's not crude or, or um, graphic, mm-hmm. 
overly graphic. But it, it made me realize it's like, oh my word, you can talk about real things in these books. Mm-hmm. Like you can talk about real emotions and real um, interactions. And, and those are things I love too. And so I got the idea of, of doing a fairy tale retelling of Maid Moline, which is a more obscure Grimm's fairy tale that I had grown up on because we had a picture book of it for uh-huh. growing up. And I'd always loved the story. And there were certain pictures in my head because of that story. You know, it, it was had illustrations. Yeah. Princess uh, Princess Maline had like big buns on the side of her head, kind of like Princess Leia. So that was, <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so... So I, I started my own retelling of Maid Maline. And originally it was just going to be simple. I kind of knew the plot points. I had some twists I wanted to do on the original story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got married to Craig and he thought it was a great idea too. We, we always like to talk through stories and things like that. <clears throat> but he was like, well, you don't just want to do a simple romantic story. That's kind of boring. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it made sense. And of course I pushed back on it because I wanted to do my simple little story and get it done with. Um, <laughs> I had no, no ambitions for it. I just wanted to write the story. Um, but the more we got into it, the more it was like, oh, but then there's this. So you have a character, Maline, who is exiled in a tower because of dis- a disagreement with her father. <clears throat> And a war happens while she's in the tower. Uh-huh. But I was writing a story in third person limited. And so it's all from her perspective. Uh-huh. But as I wrote this first draft that all takes place, you know, like half of it's in the kingdom, half of it's in the tower. They come out of the tower and I'm like, for the next part, I need to know what happened during the war. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so over the course of you know, within a uh, couple of years, uh, I remember... Craig and I, one of our first vacations, we we just mapped out the war. <laughs> During the vacation? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were camping. You know, it's like you sit down <laughs> and just map out the war. And he's an engineer, too. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we love maps. So we had our map and we we just started figuring out the plot points. Of, like the, We knew the length, mm-hmm. but we had to know exactly what happened because I couldn't write the second part of my characters going through this kingdom without knowing what happened during the war. Yeah. Well, that took a while, um, <laughs> you know, and then, uh, yeah. So, so that was a lot of fun though. I always love uh, the fact that we were able to do that because yeah. you never get it first person or, or even, um, even third person, you never get it from anybody's perspective, except for what they've told the, the main character uh-huh. or what uh-huh. she experiences. Yeah. Um, Craig and I didn't, have kids till seven years after we got married. So I'd say the first draft of the first book was probably in, in the, in the can at that point. Um, Our firstborn daughter um, was born with trisomy 18, uh, Karen. And we had actually had some miscarriages before that. So the whole starting a family thing was a lot trickier than we had expected it to be. (laughs) Um, So, um, in the course of Karen's life, she lived six and a half years. We also had two more daughters. Um, and then right after she passed away, a few months later, we had our, our son. So I was mom of toddlers. And so we were yeah. really strongly involved in our church, in a, um, a mom's group community, you know, that I was involved in there. Um, 
with Karen, it was doctor appointments sure. and therapy and school. And, yeah. know, just about the whole, it was life, you know? Yeah. So there wasn't yeah. a whole lot of writing that was happening in those days. Right. Um, there were a lot of family, like ex- extended family um, things that, you know, just, just lots of life. I, right. Yeah. Many, many things. Um, but the story was still there. And one of the things that, because it was the, the world had been so formed and Maline's character was such a part of my beginning of my marriage and beginning of my life there, um, it always came around. Like anytime I was dealing with something or working through something, almost inevitably it would kind of come back to the story and go, so what would a person like this look like, you know, or what if this character that I know is going to be coming, what if they had this kind of attitude or reacted to things this way? Or, um, you know, if we went places, what would this kind of setting look like? And You're saying so, in, in your in, actual life, as you experienced, mm-hmm. as you saw places, experienced events, you thought, how would these characters? Yeah. Yeah. How would they? How would they come into the plot? Because the plot line of the story, you you had a framework since you had the fairy tale. And even though I was doing different things within that, um, there was a trajectory. Like I knew where things Mm -hmm. needed to end um, at the the very end. Um, It was just how it was going to get there was the the issue. But yeah, it was, I think of it sometimes I'm like, it was kind of my coping mechanism. Uh I, I was, I was talking to Craig last night about it. I'm like, yeah, you know, I would have conversations. These characters would be having conversations in my head. And he's like, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to say that. And I'm like, oh yeah, total schizophrenia. <laughs> All these characters living in my head, having conversations. Yeah. Ken, right. yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'm interested. So, so as life intervened and, and you had this story that you'd had one draft of, and when you say one, yeah. you said that you, you had a draft of, of the first book. Right. But by the time you had a final draft, it was a whole lot different from that first draft. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so life put that on pause. But also, I'd, I'd love to hear you. <clears throat> Sorry. I'd love to hear you talk about the ways in which all that life that you were living right. shaped the art or shaped your ability to, to do this, to complete it, to in, you know, how did that life, including all that sadness enrich yeah. the story? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of, one of the biggest things that impacted, I think would be, so you have Maid Maline, who's the princess and her maid servant, Dame Marietta, <clears throat> who's the one who goes with her into the tower. And, that relationship, because Marietta is, is about, you know, basically a mother figure. She's about 20 years older than, than Maline. And that relationship, the way they interacted in Marietta's story, her backstory, and how she responds to Maline definitely was impacted by mm. the experiences I had. Because some of the things I had early on about how she responded to the, their relationship um, after having Karen and after losing Karen was kind of like, uh, yeah, that's not how a, a woman would respond who's mm-hmm. lost a child, you know? Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And, and just looking at your family and, and how interactions happen in families. 
Yeah. Um, so that definitely, that definitely changed. Yeah. You know, I'm so interested in this idea of a, a story that you started when you were very young, mm-hmm. you know, that you, that you didn't, the, the final version sort of gets both very young Lauren and not as young Lauren, you know, the, the, the imagination and the excitement of a young writer um, yeah. plus all that seasoning of uh, right. of 25 years of, of uh, living and, and some suffering and, and some yeah. joys and all those kind of things going into that story. I think it's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I've got, this was the, the very first draft and I was oh, reading yeah. through that earlier and I'm like, wait, I had, why did I have that? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, or some of the ideas where I'm like, oh my word, I'm so glad I got rid of that. But then there's still the basic plot line of the story is still there. Um, and certain little nuggets that are still there. And it's fun to see some, some of those um, yeah. that did make it to the end. Can you speak <laughs> to, well, you, you, you just, you already did speak to one thing. You, you said you realized that, uh, a matronly figure maybe wouldn't react the way that very young Lauren thought a matronly figure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Are there other things that you, when you look back um, in the first versions and you think, well, I'm glad I grew up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the depth of other characters as well yeah. and just how they were written. Um, uh, one of the things, even just in final, like when I finally handed off to some beta readers, 20 years into the process, 20, 25 years into the process, um, the feedback on Malene's character herself. So she starts off as a very spoiled, narcissistic kind of person. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you bring the reader along with that character to put up with her until she wakes up and starts changing? Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, yeah and, and I had some good advice um, uh, from... I remember particularly um, my friend Alicia from The Habit was one of the early beta readers and going, you know, the character of of Mary in Downton Abbey, she's kind of spoiled. She's a little haughty and yet we like her. Yeah. You know, what is it about that character that, that we like? And um, that really made me think through it a little yeah. more of going, oh, yeah, right. What are things that impact our view of this character? Yeah. So can you, what, what kind of wisdom did you, did you learn as you experimented with making right. a narcissistic character likable? Did you make her less narcissistic or did you do something? Yeah. Else? What, one specific thing um, was trying to bring out in the first part of the book, just some experiences of her that show her struggling with things uh-huh. you know, in, in the midst of her introspection. Yeah. Um, and um. What was I going to say? Um, places where you saw it could have been different for her. Huh. But yeah. because of how her growing up had happened and the people that had been put in her life, um, she ended up making, you know, becoming this kind of person. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I, um, when you were talking about the a narcissistic character who's also likable or a, an, you know, I don't know that Emma, I don't, I don't know that um, oh, yeah. Emma yes. is narcissistic, but she's a little self-absorbed right. and yes. Um, yes. I'm trying to think how, yes. 
Yeah, you love her anyway. Right. Um, and then when she what? does get corrected, you know, yes. three quarters yes. of the way through, you really feel for her. It's not just you're glad for her, but you feel for her. It's just, it's just such a, you know, I mean, right. Jane Austen is just such a she's so yeah, just so incredible. Yes. Yeah. yeah. One one thing about that, um, and that reminded me too with this, is is it's her relationship with other people. Mm. Their love for her despite her flaws. Yeah. Yeah. And um, another friend who just read it was saying, you know, she appreciated one of the things she really liked was um the Malene's father, the king, he definitely has his own flaws and issues, but he loves Malene, you know, and yeah. Yeah. and Marietta loves Malene in, in a true way. You know, you've got yeah. a contrast of the way different people treat her, but um yeah. This they understand, you know, she's still a kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what love sees is true, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um I we we think of characterization as being you, know, you you spend so much time thinking how is this person going to act and react and what situations can can this person's you know character come out in action or in in dialogue or whatever but uh, you know your remarks there remind me so much it's so important to triangulate or that's not may not be the right word but but look at the way other characters see that character you can do so much in developing a character just by seeing how other characters react to them. Right. Um, right. Now, when yeah. you have a character locked up in a tower, that kind of limits your ability to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was like one person. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And she didn't like it very much to begin with. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> so 20 something years of languishing. Are, <laughs> is that the right word? Is languishing the right yeah. word? And, and then a and mold, then you, leaf mold. That's right, the leaf mold of the mind. That's right. <laughs> um, and then, relatively quickly, this went from I have one book that's been languishing for twenty years, and now three books finished. Tell me about that. Um, one of the biggest things I thought it was just going to be one book, but it just kept mm -hmm. getting longer. When I the second book, as as I I knew it was three parts, so that yeah. was always set. I even had kind of the names of the different parts. Um, but the second one just got, there was so much happening and it had to happen. So I'm like, Oh goodness, this is, and I know the third part is going to have to have a lot happening. Um, so I joined the, the habit. Oh, I guess it was fall or spring of 2018, 2019, somewhere yeah. in there. And, um, it must have been the fall because it didn't have the habit membership didn't start till the fall. There of you go. So there it, you go. It was pretty early on. My excuse yeah. Oh, yeah. for joining it because I didn't feel at that point that I was, you know, it was kind of like this story. It would be really nice to finish it someday. Yeah. I, I really would like to, but I don't think it's going to happen. And when I joined the habit and kind of ventured to put out a little exercise at some point and, mm -hmm. and another one, um, I kept getting really positive feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't that I didn't think I could write because I'd done all kinds of, you know, writing. I mean, we lived in Guadalajara for two years and and so I was doing newsletters and mm -hmm. you know, I'd send them to my editor mom to edit and she would send it back with just a couple little notes. It's like, okay, well I can communicate and write. Yeah, right. But you know, creative writing, that kind of thing, I wasn't sure. Um and then I was able to join um 
with Alicia and Bethany Sanders, two of the gals, uh, we started a little accountability group thanks to mm-hmm. Bethany's um, motivation on that. And and something that came out of, I think it was Hutchmoot 2018, um, that she reached out to us about starting that. And we started writing to each other regularly and just kind of, what are our goals? What are mm-hmm. you know, what have we accomplished? What are we hoping to do? Um, and they were the first ones that I was like, I will hand this book off to you. <laughs> and one of the questions I had was, can the first book work as a stand, like, can it stand on its own as a, as a book? I mean, it obviously, mm-hmm. you kind of have a hanging ending at the end of the first book because you've got these two other parts that are gonna be finishing the arc. But can the book, you know, does it have a beginning, middle, and end, you know, mm-hmm. in itself? Um, and as they read through them and a couple other folks that read through them, the response was, yes, this this works. This mm-hmm. works. You know, all three all three parts. Um, well, actually, the third part hadn't been written yet at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because they were going, okay, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Uh, I also had my daughters at that point were up, getting up into high school. Yeah. And they were old enough to read it. And they're uh-huh. going, well, okay, what happens next? <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. So it was a realization of, okay, this can work as three different parts. Mm-hmm. You know, there, are, there are three holes here in the, in the overarching piece. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So one thing I want to talk about is the idea that you, you're working with source material that you've chosen not to change the story arc, right? I mean, mm-hmm. obviously you could have, yeah. but you didn't. Um, and so within that those parameters, how do you how did you make this also your story? Not just the old story, not just the grim, you know, fairy tale, but but Lauren's yeah. story too. Yeah. Yeah. Early on I I went through and I just kind of did a general outline, very, mm-hmm. very basic overview outline. So I did know specific things that were going to be going on. Um so the basic story of Maid Malene, I'll try to sum up very quickly. Uh, you have a princess who wants to marry a certain prince. They're in they're in love. They want to get married. And the king refuses and says, no, you're going to marry this other guy. And so in a rage, he puts her in a tower and says, you're going to stay there for seven years. I did not go with seven. I went with three. I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> but it's very, in fairy tales, seven is very symbolic. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. the number. You know, but three is really great, too. Yeah, right. Um, so she's put in the tower. And when she and her, and this is not spoiling because you can go and read the Grimm's fairy tale. Yeah. <laughs> when she and her maidservant it gets to the end of the seven years, no one's rescuing them. They get out of the tower and the kingdom is devastated. It's gone. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they have to wander and they end up in the kingdom of the prince that she had originally been uh, in love with. And through the course of events, they, of course, she is the true bride and they end up being able to get married. There's other things that happen in the, in the tale. So, when I started it, I was looking at him like, what if, you know, I, I don't have a dad who um, <laughs> forces me to marry someone I don't want to marry. <laughs> and I'm like, what if you have a character, a girl who she has her opinion about how things are supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And her father has a different perspective. And maybe his perspective might be a little better than hers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I sort of flipped that on its head that you have 
the prince she wants to marry and is in love with. Um, but he's saying, no, this is not a good choice. But then, then I'm like, I added another factor of there's looming war and he wants to protect his daughter. So what is he going to do to protect his daughter in the way he sees best? Um, so whether those choices, you know, those are best decisions that he could make in his situation, these are the things he gave her as options. Uh-huh. Um, so, it, so it opens up just all kinds of interactions. So uh, one of the things I think particularly is since my favorite kind of stories are the ones with characters and people interacting. It was going to be that kind of story. Uh-huh. So it's, it's not, it's not an epic. It's not a Tolkien in terms of, you know, well, I guess Peter Jackson's Tolkien with big wars and battles and stuff like that. Craig keeps uh-huh. waiting for the battles. Craig and my daughter, Claire, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if you're going to get battles. I'm not very good at battles, but I'm good at the interactions. Yeah. <laughs> I can have someone telling you about the battle. <laughs> Um, but, uh, so that, that was a fun way to just kind of make it my own as, you know, these characters as they're growing and and changing. Um, well, you know, and in fairy tales, um, psychological realism is not the strong suit of fairy tales, you know, and, and in fiction, you know, in, in novels and short stories, we expect psychological realism. It, no matter how outrageous or how fantastical the situations is, we still expect people to act like people and we're interested in, you know, in yes. human interaction in a way that the fairy tales don't expect, like the, the fairy tales are stripped down and that kind of stuff. And Yes, it's not supposed to. It's it's um, it's a, a frame for showing you certain truths in right. some ways. Like yeah. good, evil, um, lots of different, you know, the way things work. And yeah, and, and that's what's so fun about a fairy tale. When you read it, you, you ask all, you're automatically asking questions. It's like, well, mm-hmm. why would this happen? Well, mm-hmm. why? You know, we want to know the why. Right. It's kind of like with so many Bible stories. It's like, right. why? What, yeah. what was the story behind that? I want to know, you know? So mm-hmm. it encourages you to start thinking of different ideas of, well, what if? You know? Yeah, right. So. That's right. And, and Bible stories, they kind of say, here's what happened, not here's what was going on <laughs> inside the people's brains that then caused them to behave this way. Right. Um, and, yeah. you know, and so uh, you'll you'll see, you know, fiction based on Bible stories that almost always then goes into the cycle, you know, the inner workings of, of the mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in the heart. Yeah. 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 Um. Okay. I know your your writing partners, Alicia mm-hmm. and Bethany, uh, were interested in. Uh, I asked, you know, I talked to them about, you know, what what would be some questions uh, yeah. to ask you, and and they, uh, uh, Alicia, I think, suggested that maybe world building was something you you would enjoy that we benefit from talking about. Tell me about that. Well, I I love maps. I mean, I mm-hmm. grew up a missionary kid and different places and our family has always been global in that mm-hmm. sense. Um, and so terrain and the way things, you know, the way how to get from here to there is always interesting mm-hmm. to me. Um, so one of the very first things that happened with the story was creating a map that showed the world. Uh-huh. And then Craig comes in and he's also a missionary kid and also loves maps. And he's also an engineer. So he's like, okay, well, you know, if you're going to have mountains, 
how do you, you know, how can we make the mountains and the rivers work so it actually makes sense? You know, (laughs) (laughs) where does the water flow? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So just in the physical creating of a world, that Mm -hmm. was, that was a a part of that early on. Um, Can I ask you about the, you, you said you arranged the mountains and the rivers so that they would kind of do what you needed them to do. Is that, were you arranging the physical space to serve your story or were you, did you have some, some physical facts of the way mountains and and rivers work and their, and their, and those influenced the way the story went, which way did that work or did it work? both ways? I think it's both ways um, because you have the, um, the original city capital city that she lives in um, Ardenne. There's a, a castle and a town on a river. Uh-huh. The river leads to the sea. So I think I knew that initially, um, but the sea is far off. Behind the castle, though, there is basically a barren plain, and there's a whole uh-huh. mythology of why that plain is barren. Uh-huh. And there's a hill about a quarter mile from the castle in that, in the midst of that plain, this like basalt rock formation which one of the other historical stories of their their kingdom is that one of the kings was um a miracle happened on that hill and these uh, an oasis was formed basically uh-huh. on uh-huh. with apple trees and a, a spring um okay. and and then farther back you know, in history you have the, uh, mountains south of that mm-hmm. so that part was already there just as kind of the original mythology of the story um, that you that you inherited, you're saying? No, that no, you, okay. that it was just early yeah. formation. Okay, of the, not from Grimm Brothers, but just from your your early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm always interested in the question of in in real life. Why is this town in this place? Yes. Right. Is it? You know, a lot of times it'll be because that's where the the there was a waterfall. You know, and right. so they they ran mills, or and then a town grew around the mill, or. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, this is where the railroad came through. And so this other, or, you know, or if you go yeah. for crying out loud, Route 66, think about all those, all those yeah. dead towns that, you know, hey, now they're, they got bypassed mountain. by the, by I-40 or whatever it was. Um, that's always the, the ways that the, that the physical and geographical facts shape yeah. experience. I think it's so interesting to, um, yeah. to dig into as a way of developing as a storyteller. You know. Yeah. But anyway, I'm kind of interrupting. I'm sorry. We were talking about. No, well, no, that, that's exactly it. It, it. And and like I knew the town had to be if it's a capital, it has to be on water. Mm-hmm. Most, you know, in, in an agrarian middle yeah. medieval type of community. Um, and then there were I knew what the other kingdoms around them were. So I started thinking through what were the dynamics between these different kingdoms. Um yeah. And what were their strengths? You know, what were the things mm-hmm. that they provided in 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 the kingdom? So that affected things. So then, by the second book, with wandering where they're traveling through the kingdom, I already knew the map, but it's like, okay, well, how do I convince them to move from here to here? You know, it's like, what's going <laughs> to yeah. force them into those pathways? Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> love it. You know, I um, driving through Virginia a, a few years ago, I was. Um, looking for there was there was a mountain range now i can't remember was it the alleghenies maybe it was the alleghenies that that kind of was considered the the frontier um yes, colonial yeah. was the alleghenies yeah. 
Yes, yes. And I thought, oh, I'm I'm interested to see the Alleghenies. I bet they're right. I bet there's something special about those. And like, <laughs> of course, they're beautiful because yes. that whole part of Virginia is beautiful. But that mm-hmm. what turned out to be those mountains was were no different looking or anything from the other mountains. And and so I asked, uh, you know, somebody in Virginia, like, what's this about? And they said, and you may know this already. That just happened to be where everything on one side of those mountains, the rivers flowed to the Atlantic. On the other side, oh. they flowed to the Gulf. Gotcha. Yes. And that's right. the only difference. And so if your farm was, you know, a mile on that side, you you couldn't ship your your grain to the coast. You'd have to ship it to the to the Gulf and then ship it around, which nobody yes. wanted to do. And so yeah. or maybe they couldn't do. I don't know. Anyway. That's not altogether relevant, but again, it's, it's an no. idea of, of, of kind of it's world building in the world right. where we actually live, you know. <laughs> right. And and part of mine was realizing, oh, because of the way this kingdom is here and this kingdom is here, it's going to affect why there was a war in the first place, you know, mm-hmm. sort of things yeah. like that. Yeah, um, yeah. My my history teacher in in high school, you know, and she knew she was oversimplifying. She said, "All all history is a function of of geography and economics," <laughs> and um, and that's a really helpful thing, you know, yeah. to remember when you're trying to to shape a story, a fictional story. Right. Yeah. Um. Okay. You were, maybe you've already covered this, but I think you're starting to talk about culture. Uh, oh yeah, culture. culture. So that that was another fun part, especially as life went on and more life happened, and we experienced yeah. different things. Um. Oh man. I realized when I was writing the, I think with the third book, which is set in a different place that geographically, you know, I knew my characters were moving a certain direction. So in the second book of going, Oh wait, how would the climate change as they Mm. were moving in this way and the terrain and things like Mm. that. And after living in Guadalajara for two years, which is, so it's Mexico very high. It's, what is it? Five over 5,000 feet up Uh because it's a plateau that central plateau of mexico okay and so it's kind of one of the eternal spring cities it's one of the places Mm -hmm. where you just have nice climate all year round Mm -hmm. it's a little cold in the winter you have kind of a wet season a dry season um the way the you know the flora and the fauna work uh different ways there um and i thought oh well that's where ardenay is where Moline starts off in exile that's kind of what the climate would be there Uh um and so I could elaborate on that as I was going back and fixing the drafts and stuff of kind of putting in a little more of, you know, what kind of plants, what kind of trees, what kind of, yeah. yeah. And it, and it made it fun for when I was working through the third book with a totally different climate, which I've also experienced, but wasn't living in anymore because now we're in East Texas, which is humid yeah. and green yeah. and hot. <laughs> yeah. Did you say when you, you started the book before you'd ever lived in Guadalajara and then, yes. you, yeah. Okay. There's a great example of how your 25 years of living shape yep. that book definitely yeah. definitely yeah love it yeah. all right let me ask you a question that i think you're i think you're uh know to expect <laughs> that is what are the writers who make you want to write yeah you know every time i've listened to this podcast i'm like okay what would i say <laughs> <laughs> well here's your chance so um yeah i i Obviously, I've been influenced by Tolkien and Lewis. They've, they've been uh, huge influences in my life. But I think in terms of ones who want, make me want to write, what I've realized more 
recently is is so like Dorothy L. Sayers or Lord Peter Whimsy books, the characters and their banter, the way they mm-hmm. interact with each other. Um, Ella Montgomery, Anna Green Gables, those books, you know, another one where just, I've, and Jane Austen, you know, these, the, the authors who have the interactions with the people, the characters, mm-hmm. the way they um, affect each other, um, they have definitely, when I read them, I'm like, oh yeah, that I like these interactions. I want to, bring out that yeah that that feeling um i feel like i'm not as great at imagery like i can do it i i um but i love authors like so one of the a british author from the 20th century mary stewart she's probably best known for an arthurian cycle that she wrote which i've only just started finally but she also is very a popular author of kind of those suspense adventure romance mysteries you know that were (laughs) popular mid 20th century Uh so she has a collection of those and she obviously had been to the places where she set the stories because Mm. her imagery is fantastic and her descriptions of settings is is amazing yeah um you know she when she describes a car driving it you've it's like a horse running, you know I mean? She, just the way she can describe it, just yeah. bring imaginatively to life. So yeah. I love that. Um, Elizabeth Googe is another one mm-hmm. uh, for those, but you know, so it's kind of funny. Um, well, one of the biggest books that is probably makes me want to write is the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's just like we were talking about, you know, where it's, it's those stories and the narratives that, make you ask questions and try to figure out why, 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 why. Um, And then even just um, anytime I like a really good sermon or or a song that just hits my spirit. And there were so many times when I was in the midst of writing where I'd hear something in a message or read something and go, Oh, that idea, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm trying to get across. Or, you know, Mm. that's how I can play with that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that, as you said, the sort of suge- the way the Bible is suggestive, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really, instead of ex- you know, more suggestive than explanatory, even yeah. though we, you know, we tend to read it looking for, right, wanting it to be you know, expecting it, wanting it to be explanatory. A lot of times it's just kind of suggestive, yeah. and yeah. and that does fire the imagination. Um, yeah. So I love that reminder. Yeah. I also and- love the. I, I love it when people are influenced by, or you know, Tolkien makes them want to tell a story, but then they have influences like Googe and uh, okay. and Jane Austen, who who are you know so much better at the the inner life. Than, right. I mean, you know, Tolkien's not trying to do a whole lot with people. I mean, there's 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 yes. certainly plenty of inner life in there, but yes. but uh, but not like what Jane Austen can do. And yeah. and so I, I yeah. love I love that combination that you're you're talking about there. So. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad that after 25 years, <laughs> these books are finding life. And, and uh, here's to Bandersnatch Books for, yes. uh, for, Very for putting those in the world. So uh, I hope a lot of people read these and enjoy them and benefit from them. So thanks for being here, Lauren. Thanks. Really enjoyed it. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. 
To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.